This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, uh, when I was in fifth grade, my parents, we moved from Minneapolis to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's a big change. My dad ran a restaurant down there, and uh, it was fifth grade. I remember I, I, my, I was thrilled because my dad asked me if I, would go, if I wanted to go deep sea fishing with him. Now, I'd never been deep sea fishing, but it sounded like an adventure to me. And my dad, being an old Navy man, he was eager to kind of get me in a, a larger boat and get out and do some fishing. Uh, so we went deep sea fishing. It was, a great, it was great fun. In fact, I caught a really gigantic kingfish. And uh, my dad actually bought it from me at, at, for the restaurant. The restaurant bought it from me, and they served it that night. So it was kind of cool. But uh, I don't know if you've ever been deep sea fishing, but um, there are some challenges associated with deep sea fishing. Generally, you go out, and then you've cut the engines, and then you're sitting still. When you're sitting still, you're just bobbing like a cork. So while I was there, I, I saw something that I'd never seen before. I, I saw someone who wasn't feeling well. It never occurred to me that that could happen. As a fifth grader, I'd never experienced anything like motion sickness. But suddenly, there were these two men that were very kind of outgoing and, and, uh, and, and, I don't know, they were just really engaging. And all of a sudden, I looked, and, and one of them was in the cabin house, just this look at his head, like, <laughs> And I, I thought, that's, that's weird. Like, why aren't you up there fishing? I mean, all I could see were the horizons and the, and the waves. And, 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 and the, I had actually I had caught several fish. So it was really exciting for me. And my dad and I were out there. And, but if you've ever had that experience, when, when, when something about the motion and those kind of things, and all of a sudden you get that deep starting of a pit in your stomach. And, and uh, in fact, a little bit later on in the day, this guy that had been so outgoing, the next thing I know, I saw him. He was at one of the bulwarks, one of the sides of the ship about midship, and, and he was leaning over, and somebody said he was feeding the fish. And I said, I want to feed the fish. <laughs> and they said, no, you don't understand. I said, oh, wow. And I, I was just perplexed, like, what's going on? In fact, um, as this was going on, uh, my, my dad was enjoying it a little bit too much. Again, a Navy guy, he's like smirking. And, <laughs> and, and uh, I remember one of the deckhands came to this guy that was feeling sick, and he said, hey, um, listen, don't worry. Nobody has ever died from being seasick. And the guy's friend, because the guy who was seasick couldn't speak, but his friend, he goes, oh, don't tell him that. The, only, the idea that he was going to die is the only thing that's keeping him alive. Like, <laughs> but I remember that it was profound to me that this guy, who seemed so virile and so into fishing, and so, all of a sudden he was you know, locked in the cabin or, or clinging to the side of the boat. But if you've ever experienced that, you know that it can happen to any of us. <laughs> There's something about this experience that you can call it travel sickness, air sickness, car sickness, sea sickness, whatever you want. It happens when we're, we're traveling in a vehicle, especially like if you're trying to read, right? You're trying to read a book to pass the time. Something about it where, where your eyes are looking at a book and it's not moving. And yet something in your ear is saying, no, no, we're moving, we're moving. And there's kind of like a conflict of information after a while, it just starts to kind of get to us. So when we suffer with motion sickness or travel sickness, it's really about a conflict with input. 
something about what we perceive to be true is very different from what actually is true. And those two messages can't be reconciled. And before you know it, you start feeling kind of gross and dizzy and disoriented and nauseated. Have you ever had that experience? I could keep making that thing spin, and after a while, some of you would. <laughs> now, I didn't get seasick on that trip, and yet later, I had some experiences with that. And still to this day, we have a family joke. You see, I love roller coasters and heights. My wife, not so much. But my wife is absolutely immune to the teacups. She can get in those spinning rides. She can spin all day, get off, feels fine. I can't watch the thing, right, let alone get on it. You've had that experience. So why in the world would we talk about motion sickness? There's a very good reason. I just can't remember it right now. Oh, I do. Because you and I sometimes have a similar experience, I think. An experience similar to motion sickness. How has this past week been for you? I don't know about you, but... It, mine's been traveling like 200 miles an hour. Things are whizzing past me, zing, 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 and I feel like I'm barely getting a hand on some of the things that are so important. And at the end of the week, I, I'm not sure whether I'm coming or going. I don't know whether it's been a good week or did I miss the entire thing. You just feel, and I think with the pace of life and the demands and the issues and the change and the worries and the anxieties and the diseases and the, and before you know it, we find ourselves feeling kind of disoriented. Just a little, a little dizzy, like, what just happened? So I want to talk a little bit about this idea of what life can do to us. If you have a Bible, open it to uh, 1 Peter. Uh, if, if you don't have a Bible this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to put the passages up front. Or, or there's a blue hardcover Bible in one of the, pocket, the chair pockets in front of you if you want to follow along. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, now remember, uh, Peter has been, he's writing to a series of churches in Asia Minor, churches that are set in a, in a setting very much like ours, a culture that is not uh, conducive, not open, not friendly to the gospel. When he wrote these churches, he said something in 1 Peter 1.17, he said that you should live out your time here as though you were foreigners. In chapter 2, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to conduct your business. And he goes on. But he uses these terms. He describes those who've put their faith in Jesus. He says that, that they should consider living as though they didn't belong here. This isn't our home. Now, this is the beginning of the disorientation that I think sometimes we experience as believers. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this could still apply to you because probably you are here because there's something about Jesus that's attractive and compelling. And already you are aware that there seems to be a, a kind of a dissonance between what all of life around you is saying is important and yet something deep inside is saying, I, 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 I'm not sure if that's true. Well, for those who have put their faith in Christ, who are supposed to live as exiles and foreigners, the problem for us starts right here, and that is this. What do you mean this isn't home? This is the only place I've ever lived, Earth. This is the only body I've ever had. 
This is the only life I will, I've ever lived. What do you mean this isn't home? And before you know it, we start to feel a little discontinuity. I mean, we call it my job, or my spouse, or my children, or my job, my church. And yet, Peter says, ah, you might want to think like you're a traveler, like you're a foreigner. This isn't home. No wonder we start to feel a little disoriented. See, there's this conflict between our perception of what is true. My job, my family, my life, my future. That's the perception we have. And yet, we control very little of it. We're not sure what comes next. We can't affect it much. There's a sense that maybe we're missing something. When when we have that experience, it's so much like motion sickness. So this morning, I'm just going to call it being faith sick. I don't know what else to call it. But it's this idea that somehow there's an internal compass, and it's giving us a reading that's different from what's going on around us. You ever experienced that? Let me give you an example. Uh, Peter, we're going to stay right in 1 Peter for a little bit. In 1 Peter 2, he says this. He goes, it's commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Now, unjust suffering, all of us would agree that that just doesn't seem right. First of all, suffering at all. But unjust suffering, that's just not right. It shouldn't be. How many times this week did you say under your breath, that's just not right? Now, sometimes it's funny little things. Sometimes it's significant things. What? That's not right. They got away with what? That's not right. Nobody came along and helped? That's not right. Hmm. The only thing that could make this worse, Peter says, is in the next verse, he says, sometimes you're going to suffer for doing good. It's not just unjust, you're actually doing good and you're being punished for it. We would all say, now that's just not right. If you're a believer in Jesus, you realize that Jesus is the king. He's holy and he's just, he's loving, he's wise. We want to serve him, we want to follow him. We should not be the ones who are suffering. I can make a list for you, God, of people who probably have it coming. But it just doesn't seem like we should be the ones. And so, have have you felt this lately? Life shouldn't be working like this. This is just messed up. Okay, so two reality checks today. And the first reality check is simply this. The truth is, life isn't fair. Newsflash, right? I know. But Jesus said it. Jesus said in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Just just accept it. That's the way it is. This is the truth that is. You will have trouble. James says something very similar. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now he goes on to give a little purpose, but he seems to act as though this is just a given. Not only are you going to have trials, you're going to be all kinds of trials. And they're going to be painful. Really? Something about this just... 2 Timothy 3. 
Paul writes to this young pastor, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse. Now, I'm sorry, that's just not right. Back to 1 Peter. So Peter wrote this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It happened to me again this week. I was talking to somebody that was in a great deal of pain. And as they were expressing their pain, and I'm just trying to listen, because the pain is real, and it's deserved, and there's nothing I can do to fix it. But then they said those words, why is this happening to me? Now, I can't answer that question. But what Peter said is, but even if we can't answer that question, don't be surprised because this is what happens. Hard things, bad things, painful things happen. That's just the way it is. We're going to face difficulties in life. Now, all of you are like, uh, Mike, tell me something I don't know. I experience it every day. You see, it's not just that the world can be unfair, but for those of you, for those of us who have trusted Christ, it's more the case because we don't even belong here. If you've ever traveled overseas, traveled to another country, and you watch them do something that is so strange compared to what you're used to, you look at what they do, you look at what they eat, and you think, that's just not right. That's not even a food, you know? Compounding this idea that life isn't fair is this truth that we don't even belong here. We're not even fluent in the language. What they do and the way they do it is just weird compared to where we're from. And, and yet, now here comes the dissonance. This is the only here I've ever known. And so we're feeling this tension. Now, what happens? If you accept this as the truth, and if, if this was the whole lesson today, it would be easy to walk out and say, well, I mean, it might be true, but it isn't encouraging. Some things are true, but they're just not helpful. Great. Thanks, Mike. Now I'm really looking forward to my next week. Nothing but downhill, going through the just <clears throat> terrible. And that could happen if you thought that this was the only truth connected to faith sickness. But there are two truths that have to be balanced. And the first one is, yes, life is unfair, and those who follow Jesus are especially not at home in this world. If we accept just that, we could leave pretty discouraged. <laughs> a long time ago, our oldest daughter dated a boy. I tried not to let that happen, but it did occasionally happen. This guy was from the south, just his family had just moved up here, real, real thick drawl. And one of the things that he and his family did is they were Civil War reenactors. Of course, living up here, you know which parts they played. <laughs> yeah, Southerners. So I remember one, one uh, summer out in Gettysburg, and we were living in York at this time, I think. And out in Gettysburg, they're having all the reenacting. And, and uh, our daughter said, let's go out and see what's going on. I said, OK, sure. So we went out. We found this guy and their little unit, you know. So there they were in these fields of goldenrod and grass, and it's about 103 degrees, 
90% humidity, and all of these boys were wearing wool suits. And they looked miserable. You could almost kind of smell all that hot, wet wool as you walked over the field. You're like, whew. At first I thought, oh, that must be the horses. No, it was the guys. <laughs> now, as we stood there, um, we noticed that there was some clamoring and this and that, whatever. There's supposed to be a battle. There's supposed to be some Union soldiers. They're supposed to have a battle at, at uh, 1130, and the guys even haven't arrived yet. And these guys went, and, and all of a sudden, there's all this kind of, and, and, and then a whole group of these guys, just, you just saw them. They're packing up their stuff, and they just started marching to their cars. I've had it. This is ridiculous. Now, it didn't help that they were sweating in wool suits. And then the thing was poorly planned and nobody was running on time because, you know, wars are always on time. <laughs> but what was funny was these guys were leaving and they said, I, I said, I'm done, I'm finished, we're going to lose anyway. And he walks in. <laughs> if, if we just camp on this one truth today, that we don't belong here as believers and that we're going to experience pain and that pain is going to be unjustified, if we just had that, we would be tempted to act like those guys. In fact, some Christians act just like that. Oh, they've learned lesson, the first part of the lesson very well. <laughs> Something's going to go wrong. It's not going to go well. Nothing ever goes right. Whatever. I just, just, I'm just trying to hang on until I go see Jesus. They still believe that it'll be okay once they get to heaven. They just think that the rest of life is going to stink. And they think somehow that's a, a wise perspective. And what I want to suggest is it's a broken perspective because they've only captured one part of that truth. So if a person is struggling with faith sickness, there's a tension between what inside the values that, that we heard from Jesus and then what we're perceiving that, about the life around us. And we can't reconcile these two things and we're feeling disoriented. We're wondering who's winning here? What's happening? One of these perspectives must be off. How do we help each other? What do we do to deal with faith sickness, that disillusionment, that disorientation? Well, so since we're talking about motion sickness versus faith sickness, I'm wondering if maybe a solution that works for motion sickness might also work for faith sickness. Now, I don't know if you've ever been coached about motion sickness, but there are some things that you can do besides the drugs that make you sleep. Okay, right? And, and yes, you've got little bands with little things that press and poke and whatever. And what, but, but the thing that seems to work the best for me and for most folks is that you focus your attention in the direction of your travel, but instead of looking at the circumstances right around you, you pick a spot on the horizon. You stay focused on where you're headed and on the thing that isn't moving. You are traveling toward that. You focus on that. When I think back to our deep sea fishing trip, that was part of why I didn't feel any sick. All I was, I was on the bow of this ship, like, woohoo! I was just looking. I was looking out, not looking around. Because honestly, I had another experience when we were in Maine. Our family was a little bit older, and we took one of the ferries, parked our car on the ferry, took a ferry across over to uh, Prince Edward Island, and got a little tour. 
And this huge ferry, huge, traveling fast, it was barely moving. Key, barely moving. Big, beautiful interior restaurant and a place to sit whatever, as you travel. And there was just something about that little And I'd just been bragging to my kids that, well, dad doesn't get motion, motion sickness. And I sat that whole ferry trip inside, hanging my head. And then I kept thinking, wait, 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 wait. And every time I would get up and focus where we're headed, oh, and then that sense of disorientation would leave. So if motion sickness can be treated by us focusing our attention, I wonder if that works for our faith sickness. The scriptures say it does. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's describing life. And it, it, there's so many parallels here we could talk for hours. But run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You see, the only way we're going to get through these, this confluence, these mixed values between what has been planted inside us as believers and what we're experiencing on the outside is if Jesus helps us. Now, since we're talking about 1 Peter, 1 Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 2.21. He says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. There is something amazingly powerful about simply making sure we direct our attention in the right place. The most poignant story I heard about this was uh, in, in one of the stories that Corey Tenboom tells. If you don't know the story, Corey and her sister Betsy were uh, picked up Jews. They were put in a Nazi concentration camp, and they were subjected to all of the 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 horrors and the disrespect and the, the mistreatment that went on there. And she tells the story about how every Friday, every Friday without fail, all of the prisoners were made to get completely undressed for a medical check. And then these prisoners, women as well as men in these camps, were marched from one building to another, completely naked. Of course, marched right in front of all these smirking German soldiers. And as Corey, she says, as I was walking along, feeling the shame and the embarrassment, feeling less like a person every moment, she said, out of nowhere, a thought occurred to me. A little snippet of a passage that said that when Christ was on the cross, that he hung there naked. And as she ran back in her mind, she thought about all the pictures, the portraits, the, the crucifixes that she'd seen on every one of them. There was a little, at least a little scrap of cloth. And then she realized, well, of course, that was because the artists were trying to show respect for Christ. But in reality, that Friday morning, there was probably no more respect than the Friday that she was experiencing. It suddenly occurred to her that her Savior, too, had been paraded naked. In fact, the thought filled her heart, and, and she, she carefully tapped on the shoulder of Betsy, her sister, walking right in front of her. She describes Betsy's skin as already being blue and kind of mottled, and all of the bones were showing Betsy didn't survive. But she tapped her, and she goes, Betsy, 
They took his clothes too, she says. Betsy wasn't allowed to turn around or to be caught speaking, but she put up her hands and, and she said kind of over her shoulder, she goes, oh my, and I've never thought till now to thank him for that. As Corey, as they endured this mistreatment, the way of survival for Corey Tenboom was to focus on Christ, not on those circumstances. To focus on the truth that he had actually, not only did he understand what she was going through, not only did he care, he had been there. He had gone through that. In fact, he had experienced something worse than she, has, she was experiencing. Something about keeping her attention on him gave her the strength to endure what was going on around her. So earlier we said Jesus was quite honest. He was just, he didn't pull any punches. He said, in this world you will have trouble. But I want to point out something. That's not all he said in John 16, 33. Let's read the whole verse. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. See, there is something about Jesus, something about his ability to overcome that can give us the ability to overcome. But that's not the way it works most of the time, if we're honest. What happens in our lives is, is I mean, you're going to sit through this message, and, and in a few minutes we're going to come to these elements, and these play a, a role for this message today. But then we're going to leave. And perhaps today you're going to experience something, a family member not showing you the love or care or, or, or the respect that you th think you're due. Or perhaps Monday morning at, at the job, Somebody will speak ill of you or at least not show you the kind of love, reciprocate the kind of care that you've shown. Something will break. An illness will occur. Something happens, and before you know it, it is so easy for us, for our attention, to get off of our, where we're headed and to be right on these circumstances, right on the things going around us. And you see, as soon as we start focusing on those things here, what happens? The nausea sets in. The dis disorientation sets in. We begin to wonder, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 what is going on here? I feel terrible now. I feel so weak. I feel so, so. Right away, when our eyes are on the problem, we start to ask ourselves, what can I do about this? How am I going to fix this? This has to be fixed. Do you see what has changed? Suddenly, the focus is on our circumstances and our ability or lack thereof to fix it. We forget all about Jesus. Our eyes, like Peter walking on the water, our eyes go elsewhere and we start to sink. You know, I, I'm not immune from worry, but I chastise myself all the time. Not that I worry, but why do I do it so long? I catch myself all the time thinking, you know, I might as well just give it to the Lord because he's going to be up all night anyway. So I'll let him worry about it. The psalmist says, uh, Psalm 127, that he gives those that he loves sleep. There's something about 
this process of remembering to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's where we're headed. He knows what we're going through. He's been through it before. If you can't handle it, Jesus says, just give it to me. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is a passage worth memorizing if you've never memorized it. Would you mind repeating it with me? Let's say it out loud together. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's do it again. Ready? First Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All your anxiety. All of it. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to have a week free from anxiety? There's only one reason why we can't have it. We won't do this. We don't do it because as things start to change, our focus gets off of him and back down in here, and then we wonder why we feel so disoriented. If you stare at your circumstances, all you're going to see are problems. If you give attention to the people who are acting badly, they control you. It's funny how people say, they're not going to control me. They're not going to control me. I'm not going to let them control me. Because every time they do that, this is what I'm not, because I don't think that they should, wait, wait, you, you do realize you're talking about them. But they're not going to control you. Absolutely not. I just think every time, because what makes me so mad about them is that, okay, but they're not going to control you. Because con they're controlling our conversation for crying out loud. If you look at the people who are acting badly, they control you. And so as we're traveling through this journey, I think Jesus is saying, would you please come back to reality? Stop looking at the things around you as though they're the ones that last. Your life is not going back and forth and up and down. It's going directly toward me. These things cannot stop that. Just look at me. So the writer of Hebrews he goes on, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He put up with it so we don't have to. You don't understand, Mike. I mean, just believing in Jesus and everything, it doesn't, it doesn't make work better. Oh, yes, it can. Because as soon as work, or as soon as that person, or as soon as that illness, or as soon as that circumstance, as soon as you see it for what it is, it's just something that's whizzing by. You're not going there. You're going toward him. In fact, I think Jesus would be calling us. I, when, you, when you grab a child, you hold their face right in front of yours, look at me, look at me. Now, watch me. Keep your eyes on me, Jesus says. I did this. I got this. None of this lasts. None of this will even leave a mark. Come on. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The circumstances won't get any better. It just won't matter. 
it won't matter. Our life has been so crazy this week, I haven't watched the Today Show once. And then it hit me. It doesn't matter. It's the same stuff every day. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, what those circumstances, they don't matter. What I am doing in your life cannot be stopped by your spouse or lack thereof, by your boss, by your coworker, by your illness. It, what I am doing cannot be stopped, but keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the horizon where Jesus is. So finishing this up with 1 Peter, Peter writes this. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who, just, who, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you and I have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Spiritual motion sickness, faith sickness, can be dealt with just like motion sickness. I may perceive that this world is my home, but the truth is, it's not. And nothing they do here is going to make complete sense to me, and I'm never going to feel at home here. That's the truth. I may perceive that I am stationary in this world, and I'm being tossed to and fro, when actually, the world's not, I'm moving forward. I'm moving toward a goal, toward Christ. I may perceive that I'm in this all alone. That the only kind of rescue that's coming is going to be self-rescue. That may be the perception. The truth is, Jesus says, I got this. If you will trust me. If only we could focus our attention on him. This morning we're going to have an opportunity to do that. This morning we're going to take these elements, bread and cup. Jesus instituted this sacrament, this observance on purpose so that we could hold the bread and remember his words that his body was broken for us. So that we could hold the cup and remember that he said, it's my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. This is Jesus' way of saying, let me take your face in my hands and say to you, look at me. Look at me. What's going on around us does not matter. Look at me. So this morning, as you take these elements, I challenge you. Look deeply into that element. Focus your gaze on Jesus. 
as the ushers come forward to help serve uh, these elements to us. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, you came, you died. And many of us here today believe that. We have put our faith in you. But what we're confessing today is that something happens. The waves crash around us. The circumstances, they change and move and they ebb and flow. Relationships and people fail us and they come and they go. And before you know it, we are looking at the things that are happening around us. And, and as we look at them, we begin to feel disoriented. We feel weak and nauseated. We, we feel unsure of what to do next. And before you know it, we can barely function. You already endured all of this for us. You have overcome every aspect of the world that we have described today. You have a plan and a future for everyone who puts their faith in you. And that future will not be thwarted by any circumstance. But that truth does not bring back that sense of equilibrium to our lives unless we, by exercise of our own free will, turn our gaze back to you. And so regardless of how weak we feel, regardless of the nausea that we might feel, that sense of disorientation, that sense of guilt or failure, we can do one thing today. Every person in this room can do this. They can exercise their will and direct their heart's attention back to you. As we hold these elements, remind us again what it means to fix our eyes on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.